Hello and welcome to the Autism and Employment podcast series. Our names are Martin and Alex. In this episode, we are going to be discussing two rather thorny topics of job hunting and jobs in general, the application form and the interview stages. It's a universal truth that nobody likes job hunting at the best of times. It's even worse when you've just finished education, be it A-levels or university. I chose the former while Alex went to university. But when it comes to job hunting and autism, it's an entirely new thing altogether. The UK has a scheme called Disability Forward, previously known as Two Ticks Positive About Disabled People. The Positive About Disabled symbol is run by Job Centre Plus, but research by academics at two business schools found that thousands of companies that used it were no better than those that did not. In the wake of the research, the Department of Work and Pensions accepted that the Two Ticks scheme was in need of reform. The research, led by Professor Kim Hoke of Warwick Business School, and Nick Bacon of London's Cass Business School found that just 15% of the organisations awarded the two-tick scheme symbol kept to all five of its commitments, with 18% of those signed up not fulfilling any of them, and nearly two-fifths, 38%, only kept one of the promises. And an Environex research study found that employers rated employees with intellectual disabilities with an average score of 84% in the following categories, high productivity, dependable, engaged in their work, motivated, great attendance records, and strong attention to work quality. Employees on the autism spectrum have been evaluated by their employers as exhibiting the following. Strong overall job performance, great technical abilities, high levels of accuracy, acute attention to detail, conscientious and diligence, ability to work independently. The average turnover rate for employees across all industries is 49%. High turnover is an extremely costly reality in business, training new employees, covering missed shifts, and getting new staff up to speed with experienced staff takes time and resources. In contrast, turnover rate for new employees with intellectual disabilities or ASD is markedly lower at just 7%. With extraordinary statistics proving that adults with intellectual disabilities and autism are able to do their jobs well, just as well as neurotypical adults, why are we still having issues with job hunting and with the job application stages? It's not just the fact that you have a job interview that makes you nervous. For a person with autism, Asperger's, learning disabilities, every single aspect of the whole experience must be thought out, ranging from, oh my God, I'm going to be meeting new people, all the way through to mustn't fidget, mustn't fidget, must make eye contact, must make eye contact. Of course, it depends on the individual as to what they are like, as each person is different. Unbelievably, despite it still being in the 2020s, it hasn't been a great year, admittedly. There are still some people who dismiss disability or look down on it or who judge it. And there is still bullying. This is probably why, understandably, people with autism and learned disabilities are hesitant to disclose the fact that they do have a disability when they apply for a job. You may recall Connie from an episode about COVID-19, who stopped disclosing she had learning disabilities as she received more interview opportunities as a result. TVO.org published an article in 2017 about a young gentleman from Milton, Ontario called Parker. Parker didn't disclose his autism diagnosis to his new employer, but unfortunately, this resulted in him getting sacked three weeks later as he struggled in the role. Parker quoted, I didn't think to do it, I guess, because of judgment. 
I wanted to find a job that wouldn't judge, judge my disability. Parker was brought back after an investigation, but given another job that involved less multitasking and allowed him to be more stationary. However, not all jobs will be as accommodating, unfortunately. Related to Parker's situation, TVO spoke with Marilyn Ellis, a Burlington-based career counsellor who works on employment transitioning with young adults who have autism, she says that many adults with autism find that if they reveal it on an application form, interviews often disappear. Yet research has found that those with autism are more productive and have much lower rates of absenteeism and turnover than neurotypical workers. They may have difficulties developing soft skills such as communication, but often have no trouble with technical skills. In this episode, we have guest speakers who work here at Beyond Autism, both of whom have experience working with supporting young adults with autism and learning disabilities with employment. We would like to welcome our guests, David and Emily. So David, you are a, you are a qualified teacher and you are now the head of the research and learning. You were previously head of Post-19. Emily, you are a specialist vocational advisor. Emily, I previously worked with you at Bromley Mencap. Out of the people that you worked with at Bromley Mencap, how many were successful, not only securing an interview or a work trial, but also at finding paid employment full-time or otherwise? And how did you help them prepare? At Bromley Mencap, I probably supported about 10 to 12 people into paid employment. And then for getting an interview was probably around 25 to 30 people getting interviews. Um, in terms of how I would support them, it really depended on their individual needs. Some people would need quite a lot of support um, in terms of having role plays and kind of practice interviews. Um, and other people might not need that much support. It could just be kind of a little bit of a prompt um, with how are they going to get to the interview, making sure that they practice their journey. Yeah, it really did depend on the individual and their needs. Okay. Uh, David, when you worked at Post-19, what was your experience like and how did you support the young adults preparing for interviews and finding work? Post-19 is a really exciting time uh, to help people in their journey on finding a, a job and, and their last stage of education. It's a really exciting time because it's, it's the final stage. They've been to school, they've been to sixth form, and post-19 is all about adulthood. So the services itself, we've never had anyone actually leave and go on to find a job because the service was so new. But all the work we were doing with the young people, the young adults, was all about finding a job. Things we would do is first try and find out what our people were interested in. What did they enjoy doing? How did they enjoy spending their time? And it can be little things such as whether it's going out into the garden and being outside or whether they preferred to be inside, whether they were creative people and enjoyed doing arts and crafts or, or cooking. And it was really observing their behavior because often many of our learners couldn't tell us what their interests were. So we had to use our observational skills to work that out. So from that, we could work out what sort of work experience placements our young people might be interested in doing. And what we did was set them up in lots of different places and, and saw what they enjoyed and really worked out from giving them opportunities to be exposed to different environments to find out what they might be interested in doing in the future. Preparing for interviews is very much about teaching communication and getting our young people able to communicate uh, what they want to get across, what their wants and needs are, 
but also being able to say what they're good at and what they enjoy doing. So it's a complex thing. It's not an easy thing to, to approach and probably not the traditional way most schools or colleges approach it. But because of the needs of our learners, we had to adapt and, and spend a lot of time getting to know them and their behaviours. Um, David, how do you find organisations to work with to sign up to work with Beyond Autism? So how do you find the placements for the students? It's often who you know, isn't it? I think that's the same with any job hunting is it's who you know and what connections you've got and people who've recommended you. Um, and we have a fantastic network at Beyond Autism of people who support us, whether that's financially through donations for the charity or people who volunteer their time. So it's basically just building up our reputation. We're also very good at uh, phoning and getting to know people, bringing up businesses and asking them if they're interested in us being involved or if they could offer us that opportunity. So it's, it's persevering and not giving up. Now, some people often a little bit apprehensive about having people come in. We know that 60% of employers are worried about where they'd find the right support for someone with autism. Mm -hmm. So it is quite tough um, sometimes communicating the opportunities our learners can, can provide for them. It's not always about just our learners gaining experience. You know, they, they go in and do actual work, what people should or would be normally doing so it's it is a great opportunity for employers but they don't always see that which is unfortunate yeah it's true unfortunately um thank you david and emily for your answers so the next questions are for both of you to have a discussion the next question is what are your opinions on the disability forward scheme or two tick scheme as it was previously known does it surprise you that only 18 percent of companies that signed up to it didn't follow through with their promises and and also, does it surprise you that 38% only followed through with at least one of the promises, such as shortlisting and interviewing disabled people who meet the minimum job criteria? I, I think the two tick schemes are a really good idea. And it, it's, you know, the five things that they set out to do are, I think, really straightforward. And actually, in, in many ways, they'd support lots of people beyond... Um, people with disabilities and it's a real shame that um, people aren't following through with what they've signed up for. I think it's not surprising but it is really really sad and actually many of the things there are really really straightforward and easy to implement uh, particularly around reviewing uh, the scheme annually and really really just thinking about how they um, interview and get people interested in jobs and you know, even not being able to interview people is, is a real, real shame. But um, it doesn't surprise me because I know these type of issues often fall to the side when people are busy or have other priorities. And it's it's maybe not seen as as glamorous as uh, some of the other parts of their business, maybe. Um, yeah, I, I agree with David that it's not surprising. Um, I think a lot of it is often to do with kind of people not knowing about the scheme enough, um, whether that be knowing what's required, fully knowing what's required of them or just signing up for the scheme in general. But I think it is a good scheme. And obviously if more people followed through with it, that would be great. Okay, thank you um, guys. Martin, the next question is yours. It is indeed, yes. Many people have different views as to when is a good time to mention in the job application slash interview process that they have a disability. Some say it should be on the application or CV, 
Some say it should be during the interview, which I did once, and I think it's fair to say I had mixed feedback about it. And some people say that they should mention the disability when they are hired. What are your views on this? Personally, I think it's a very individual thing. I don't think there's any necessary, necessarily right or wrong time for disclosing if you have a disability or health condition. Um, however, I can understand why people would be kind of either put off or nervous about disclosing on an application form. However, with two tick scheme, if they did disclose on the application form and that employer had signed up to the two tick scheme, hopefully it would help them to get an interview or make the interview a bit more accessible for them. Also, kind of the sooner that you disclose that you you know you might need extra support or a reasonable adjustment put in place the sooner that that adjustment or support can be put in place so I think it's it is good to disclose early if you feel confident to do so but it is a very individual thing so I don't think it's a one-size-fits-all. I agree with Emily that um, it's very much dependent on the individual. I think from someone who's interviewed quite a few people or recruited quite a few people, the more transparent um, potential candidates and employees are, the more help that can be supplied. And I think if you have an understanding employer, they should be thinking more along the lines of, I want this person to be really successful in their job. What should I be doing to help them achieve what we need to achieve? So it does make me sad that people are are worried about disclosing Mm -hmm. it. It should be seen as a real opportunity to support that person, um, particularly if they're the best person for the job as well. And they just need some minor adjustments to to really succeed. But I would always go with transparency and I'd hope as an employer that my employees could feel that they could be transparent. But I think that goes about how the job's advertised, how the job's described, how the organisation presents itself as whether it is someone who encourages people um, to apply with um, additional needs or, or needing additional help. But um, I understand, 100% understand why people would be apprehensive about doing it, definitely. Thank you, Emily and David. So the last question is, how could the job application process be made fairer and easier for those with autism and learning disabilities? It's, it's very much about personalising the experience and thinking about the type of job you're advertising for and and actually what sort of candidate are you hoping to to employ and I think if you're looking for someone who needs to be practical and good with their hands and very hands-on job then having them sit in a room with a panel doing a traditional interview is probably not the best way of assessing their skills and actually getting them into um, a job trial or getting them involved or demonstrating their skills is probably a lot better than asking people questions across the table. And I think we all know we probably don't perform our best under pressure, um, particularly when uh, two or three people are are stood or sat across from us watching what we're saying and doing. So I'm all for giving people the opportunity to demonstrate their skills. Or if a panel interview is the way it needs to be done, providing the questions before the interview. But this isn't about giving people a a step up or an advantage. It's about equality and making it fair for everyone. And actually giving everyone the questions before the interview um, would provide everyone with the same opportunities. But 
yeah, I think giving people time to think and plan and also demonstrate what they can actually do rather than asking them to explain what they can do. Yeah, I think my answer will be very similar to David's. Um, I think the questions beforehand, if possible, is a very good um, way of making the interview more accessible for people with additional needs and making it less intimidating. Um, you could also maybe provide photographs, either that being of the building um, or photographs of the interview panel, making sure that the room is quiet and you know not too dark, but not too bright. And yeah, I think work trials or kind of skills assessment days are really good alternatives to a traditional interview. If, yeah, if it has to be a kind of traditional panel interview, then maybe allowing someone to bring in a job coach or an employment advisor with them or some kind of notes for them to have prompts on how to answer questions. Yeah, there's there's lots of different ways of making it more accessible for people. And why do you think that job trials aren't widely recognised yet? I think a lot of it is to do with kind of employers either not being aware that that's an appropriate form of an interview, or it could be to do with kind of time. If they've only allocated one day or one afternoon to interview you know, a certain amount of candidates that might worry that the job trial would take a lot longer in the recruitment process, or it could be a lack of space that maybe they think they don't have enough space for that. But I think a lot of it is to do with just, yeah, not knowing that that's an appropriate alternative. I think the perception is it takes a lot more resources. Mm -hmm. So a lot more space, time, people, and it's it's a convention isn't it it's the way we've always done things so often when we've always done things one way we often perceived as being the only way of doing things so i think it's more about perception but it is seen as being a lot more effortful for people to do even though you might end up with a better candidate at the end of the day and what about the job fairs where you show off your skill set um could you talk more about that please um yeah so again i think that that's quite um it's not widely known um amongst employers but again i think it's it comes down to you know is it going to take longer are we going to need more space will it cost more money and so on um but i think if, if there's the opportunity, especially if it's a more kind of hands-on job, whether it be, you know, in a kitchen or manufacturing or whatever it is, I think then those kind of skills assessment days are much more practical for, for recruiting whoever that person is, regardless of if they've got a disability or not. I don't know much about job fairs, really. So I don't really feel like I'm in a great position to really talk about them. But I think anywhere, any where or when people can demonstrate what they can do I think is always better than having people explain it because mm. seeing people do a job is is much more informative about what their capabilities are than someone being able to either exaggerate or undersell themselves in an interview. I agree completely and I'm sure you do Martin because Indeed, a lot, yeah. A lot of people with autism struggle with like lack of eye contact especially during interviews and with people you don't know that well so some employees may mistake that for not being confident in the ability mm -hmm. to do the job when it's just 
a symptom of our ASD. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Like showing the skills and the kind of like work you are in a, a, in a job fair or in a job trial, I think is a much better idea than the conventional um, interview process. Do you agree, Martin? I do. I do. I think that's the end of our interview now. Unless there's anything you want to say, Martin? No, I don't think so. I think we've covered all that we uh, need to. Thank you so much, um, David and Emily. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We'd like to thank David and Emily very much for their time today. And we're now going to have a little discussion about what was said during the course of the interview. So uh, where should we start, Alex? I think that the interview went really well. So yeah, thank you, David and Emily, for your time today. Um, Emily said that she has helped quite a few people at Bromley Men Camp secure interviews. And um, yeah, I think she said 25 people altogether that she helped get interviews for people at Bromley Men Camp, which is quite a lot of people. Um, it is. So yeah, very impressive, Emily, for helping those um, people secure interviews. And David said that he um, helped a lot of pe- he's helped a lot of people at Post 19 secure work placements in the areas that they're passionate about, like whether that be with gardening, working outdoors, um, anything that you know that they're interested and passionate about. And um, he said that proudly Beyond Autism have a lot of contacts and organisations that um, they work with that will agree to giving these young people work trials. So, yes. so um, yeah, I think that we learned a lot from the first question um, with David and Emily, because they both have a lot of experience supporting people with autism and learned disabilities. Uh, it's good. Um, you previously um, worked with Emily at Bromley Men Camp, didn't you? Yeah, uh, admittedly only briefly, a one meeting at the beginning of January 2020. And as Emily says, each it's all down to the individual as to how much help that they think they need. Some people need a lot of help. Others don't really need one of those people in the, uh, the latter category. Mm-hmm. Uh, she did introduce me to a couple of new uh, job sites. Uh, one was Indeed and the other one, uh, do you know, I can't actually remember what it was called, but it was uh, charity-based. Mm-hmm. So... But, you know, it might have just been called charity jobs, but uh, don't quote me on that. And then I went away merrily and would look for work. And if anything came up, I'd call and say, you know, I just let you know I have this and I was fine with what I was doing. But I understand that some of Emily's other candidates might have needed a bit more help than just that, you know. Um, yeah, of course, it depends on the individual and their additional needs um, completely. And Emily is the one that told you about this internship at Beyond Autism, right? Well, probably Mencat told me about the internship, but I imagine it probably came from Emily, mm-hmm. thinking that, you know, one of our candidates at Mencat might be something that they could go for and um, yes, but I imagine it probably came from Emily, but I heard it from another source at Mencav. So with David and um, the fact that he said that he, because um, Post-19 is such a new service that a lot of the young people who are currently in the Post-19 programme right now have not reached the age for them to um, secure like paid work yet because they're not 25 and over, but it'll be really good to um, see if any of the work placements that they currently doing a work trial in now will give them paid employment. So I think I'd like to follow up that with David in the future to um, for our data and research. Yeah, I, I, I'm just saying that I, I agree. I mean, um, I think I knew somebody 
um, in Bromley, who again was a bit like that. He just had a one day work experience. He'd been doing that for quite a long time. And then uh, one day they just turned around and I, th- I think they gave him part-time work. I don't think they gave him full-time, but certainly by the time I, I last saw him, he was being offered paid work from, it was Bromley Council of all places. Yeah, I, th- I think that, you know, that, that can only lead to good things. The second question we asked David and Emily was about the disability forward scheme and are they shocked by the low statistics? Both David and Emily said that they were surprised um, about the shockingly low statistics, but they think that it's a good scheme um, anyway, and that unfortunately some companies don't even know about it. More, it needs to be advertised more, and it needs to be shared more within companies. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have to admit, until we started talking about this, I wasn't aware of this myself. But um, obviously, I have done my uh, my reading about it. I think you're right. It is something that companies do need to embrace a bit more. They have, and we don't know about it. I'm not entirely sure, but um, yeah, we we have the results and the statistics to. Uh, they they pretty much speak for themselves. I I think you're right. It does it does need to be publicised and pushed forward a bit more mm-hmm. for it to have uh, much more of an impact. And also, people just need to actually do the things that they should do under the scheme and actually follow through. Exactly uh, the five points. So one of them was about shortlist. Mm-hmm. an interview what were the other points again just remind me shortlisting and interviewing candidates who meet the minimum um job, job criteria those are the main publicized ones i can't remember the others but like that isn't like much to do anyway for um employers and no like david said that uh, it doesn't take much just to put in reasonable adjustments for the interviewees and you know shortlist um people with disabilities like he i think employers like David and Emily said, are just, they don't know where to turn for help and support and how to make the reasonable adjustments. And like, for example, if someone with autism needs to work in a, um, in a room that's not bright, so, you know, that's not so bright, they may not know how to do that. They may not know where to find the building, you know, that is the, that, you know, suits their needs. Yes. Um, so yeah, I think it's more, I think, basic i think basically employers need support as well as um candidates as well okay so the other question is about when do we tell a potential employer that we have a disability do we do it on an application form do we do it in the interview both david and emily said that uh, to do, it all depends on the individual and what they feel comfortable with but obviously people some people aren't comfortable disclosing it yes um, the last couple of job interviews I did, um, even though I wasn't offered the job, so they gave it to someone who they felt was a better fit. And one got called off because of the COVID-19 pandemic. I did make a point of saying that I had Asperger's and I hope that that wasn't going to be a problem. And they both essentially just turned around and said, no, why would it be a problem? Mm-hmm. It's, quite, it's quite funny, but seven years prior to that, as I said, I got mixed feedback. Um, yeah. I think they would have preferred it if I'd mentioned it before I came to the interview. So it is down to the individual, but it's still one of those things that you kind of wish there was a right answer to it. I mean, there is no right or wrong answer to it, but you, you it's one of those things that you just feel like there needs to be a right answer to this. Exactly. There is no right answer. Exactly. Like, what do we do? Like, it all depends on individual and what they're comfortable with. And I think that I read by law, if a person who doesn't declare their disability 
and they don't pass the probation for whatever reason or they're struggling in the role because you know the reasonable adjustments aren't there an employer doesn't have to make those reasonable adjustments because they weren't made aware of their person's disability beforehand. I, I, that kind of does sound reasonable. It, it's, it's a little unfair, but it does sound reasonable. You know, if we weren't aware of this, how could we have possibly accommodated for what you needed? I mean, as horrible as that sounds, it, it does seem rather reasonable. Um, I know. I think that's why, like I said, that employers... Yeah, tricky employers, one. Yeah, employers need, you know, they need training, they need support, they need to, go, need to know where to go for support. Okay, the last question that we asked over in Emily was, how could the application process be made fairer and easier for those with autism and learned disabilities? And um, yeah, they both said work trials and uh, like job fairs, like skill set days and um, ideas like that, because the interview process, like the typical sitting in the front of a panel with like two or three people, it's just the way things have been done for like a really long time. It's just I guess kind of like tradition is just something that's been done and some employers don't know that work trials may be better for people with autism. I know what you mean. It, it, it does have a kind of, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Why rewrite a hit element to it? But uh, not many people see it that way. But I, I agree with you about the work trial. I mean, if you're not all that sure, just give them a try for like two weeks, a month or whatever you feel like i mean you know, I, I went for a job at bryce waterhouse coopers at the end of 2012 i didn't get the job but they did offer me four weeks work experience which i know isn't quite isn't quite the same as a work trial but um you know it, it gave me a kind of bit of a flavor for what that company does and you know do i like doing this kind of work or and the experience experience is nice and yeah i, th I think they're 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 view was if we had a job for him we would have given it to him but um didn't quite pan out that way but the experience was nice and you know i think fondly back to that time so i think work trials that they, they definitely seem to be you know something that we we could do it could be worked towards whether you have to get a job at the end of it we don't know it depends on the individual and what the situation is but yeah work trials work for me yeah, I think work trials is like a really good idea. And um, Emily said um, also being shown pictures of like the interview panel beforehand, pictures of the building, of um, yeah, just being shown visually like what to expect in the job interviews. And like both David and Emily said, like being given the um, questions beforehand so they're, like, they're prepared and, and they feel less anxious so they kind of know what to expect. They're like there's loads of ways for um to make interviews fairer and easier for people with autism. It's just some employees don't know what what you know how to mm. offer this support. Yeah, and like the reasonable adjustment that I ask for, um, when I have interviews is for questions to be given to me, like on a piece of paper so I can read the questions, and I like listen to them at the same time. Because like sometimes I can't always process like verbal information or like verbal instructions. So like reading as well as listening, I can take in what's being asked of me much easier. And sometimes I may need, I may need extra time to like process what's been asked of me. But exactly like you know these reasonable adjustments, these um, laws, I guess because they are laws, they are in place for a reason. It's so that we get a we get a fair chance. Yeah, I mean it's not much to ask, is it? Yeah. Having the questions beforehand, again, I mean, it all depends on the individual. I mean, having the questions beforehand does give you that advantage. So at least you have time to think about what you 
are going to say. I mean, I, I've definitely stumbled in certain job interviews about uh, about some of the answers to my questions. I, that I, I have come away thinking, you know, if I'd known that was going to be asked of me, I'd have thought about it. One interview, I got asked about what would you do if there was a dispute between you and a colleague? And that really threw me. You know, it even threw the other person on doing the interview because I don't think question and I had to really <laughs> I had to really think about it because on the one hand you want to tell them the truth but you don't want to come across as somebody that's difficult to work with exactly um, and hypothetical questions can be quite difficult for people with autism to answer anyway yes indeed there is that as well yeah I definitely came away from that interview thinking what on earth I can understand why they'd ask that because they want to know that you're the kind of person that will like try and get along with everybody and try and resolve any issues and you know work in a very friendly like you know friend friendly team I guess so like, I can understand why they'd ask that but yeah I don't, know, I don't think I've come across that question either. But then again having said that if I get asked that in the future mm. I will be better prepared if you like. And I think also being the giving the questions beforehand I think that is a good way to it gives you a chance to personalize your answers as well and I think the interviewer who like you know gives the questions beforehand and they listen to your answers they'll be able to tell whether you just got them off google or whatever but yes of course I think both employees and employers need support in terms of how to get the help and what when do we ask for help yeah, I, I, th I think that's probably the way that we're heading toward this. It's definitely both sides need support from aut uh, autism Asperger's charities or learning disabilities charities. That, mm -hmm. yeah, they just need the support and the help. Exactly. They don't really know because there's not many things that have been publicised enough. So it, it there's all down to seeking out help and making sure the help is out there and pushing it so you know i have this problem where can i go it's in, it's, in, it's immediate exactly i think like also a lot of like public sector and like charities they are aware of like access to work a lot of like councils and like nhs hospitals and things and places like that are aware of access to work and charities are probably um, aware of access to work as well but I think a lot of private companies may not know what access to work is and how to access <laughs> access to work so I think yeah, just, yeah. like <laughs> so I think I think yeah just basically more advertising and like people like you know maybe you know um yeah just like maybe access to work reaching out to more companies and saying like this is the service that we offer for any employees that you have with additional needs this is what we can do to support them and this is how you can yeah absolutely yeah i think that's that's the way to go okay so we, yeah let's just um yeah i think this is the end now yeah i think we've pretty much got to a good conclusion yeah thank you everybody thanks for listening and we'll see you next time thank you for listening now bye